All right. Okay. Well, good, e- good evening, church family. Uh, so tonight we're going to be going through cat, uh, Baptist Catechism question number 39. And we read it this morning. We'll read it again this evening. Question, of course, I did not change the number there. It is really question 39. And the question is, what are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? And as I read the question, and maybe it crossed your mind as well, the answer seems like it would be large. It seems like it would encompass more than we have time for. Um, After studying the questions and starting to uh, work on how best to uh, convey the answer, I found out that I really needed a lot more time than I originally thought I needed. And what I really needed to do is just pare this down. So for the most part, I'm going to be sticking to the referenced scripture uh, that the catechism uh, does refer to, I've augmented those scriptures as well to make certain points further. But the answer to that question, the benefits while we're here on this earth from justification, adoption, sanctification, the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase in grace, and perseverance therein to the end. What we're going to find, and I'm not sure where your mind has taken you, some of the benefits that we experience are uh, they're intrinsic. They don't necessarily physically manifest themselves. And then there are some benefits that are, in fact, physically manifested. So um, we'll take a, we'll watch out for that as we go through this presentation. But just to kind of uh, get dialed in or develop a perspective of where we're at in this discussion. I've just put up like as a a reminder, this is a a sample ordo salutis, order of salvation. These are spiritual transactions that take place uh, from the reformed uh, point of view. There can be included, and some people do want to include other uh, steps as well, but this suffices for what we're trying to accomplish tonight. So election, before the foundation of the world, um, 2 Thessalonians uh, 2.13, and we've been studying the book of Ephesians in chapter 1 and uh, just learning about, and God has explained uh, how uh, he has elected his church before the foundation of the world. This is before time began. This is before... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. The gospel call, the effectual call, uh, Romans chapter 10, 
regeneration, being born again. We hear about that uh, in uh, John chapter 3. Of course, John uh, 3.16 is, is the verse that gets so much attention, but this is a, a discussion that, um, that Jesus is having with a Pharisee who wants to know more and this is where Jesus is explaining uh, that you need to be born again. And if you remember that conversation that uh, Nicodemus had, how can I be born again? You know, and uh, and Jesus said, unless you're born of uh, of the Spirit and water, uh, you know, you you cannot have eternal life. So he's uh, we're we're learning that regeneration or being born again is a major step in the, the multiple sequential transactions uh, of salvation. Conversion, we, be, we jump from being sons of, of Adam to sons of God, and we are converted from death to light, uh, life from darkness to light, and three weeks ago, we got into uh, justification. Uh, some people like to think of the phrase just as if I never sinned, but justification is a spiritual transaction where judicially you are uh, viewed by God the Father no longer um, as a sinner, but rather fully righteous and that position has been mediated by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. Uh, there's a, a lot that uh, we talked about in justification. I'm not going to reiterate everything here, but uh, once justified, um, this is a qualitative uh, statement, but we can basically qualify uh, to be part of God's family because he views us as righteous and his family has to be righteous. That doesn't mean that we live perfectly righteous lives, but theologically and spiritually what has occurred, again, by the sacrifice of, of Jesus on the cross is that um, we have uh, been we have had the righteousness of Christ imputed into us. And Jesus, on the other hand, what got imputed to him was our sin. And that is how he ended up uh, having to go to the cross uh, for uh, our salvation. Adoption happens uh, as God the Father adopts us into his family and then sanctification is it's a, a process from the really the moment that we uh, are regenerated to the moment that we die and move on to glorification in heaven. The original sanctification is just being set apart from being in Adam to being in Christ to being a slave to sin to no longer being a slave to sin. Sanctification continues on as we continue to live our lives, as we continue to grow in Christ. And the final sanctification is when we're removed from 
this physical earth and we become part uh, of and reside with God in heaven. We see the perseverance and glorification, but tonight we're focusing on the justification, the adoption, the sanctification, which um, I, you know, I hate to put uh, importance levels on each spiritual transaction. They're all necessary. Uh, the list is sufficient. Uh, but what gets a lot of attention is the portion justification through sanctification. That's the life that we're living right now. So with that said, and we remind ourselves of the question, I'm going to, what I did uh, is basically break this down into four answers, four sections of the answer, where the first portion of the answer is the assurance of God's love uh, and then peace of conscience. I just lumped them all together. And the passage in Romans, uh, starting in chapter 5, this, this is a passage that comes after the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Romans. In chapter 4, was talking about justification by faith, talking about uh, how Abraham was uh, justified by faith and how Gentiles and Jews are going to be justified by faith and not of works. So we're going to focus on uh, Romans chapter 5 for a moment here. And the first two verses read, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, we're looking in this verse at Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, so the faith has been exercised, provided by God. We've been justified, justified by God uh, with the act of the sacrificial, um, uh, the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so this verse starts with, okay, now that you are justified, what now? what will life be like? Well, the first thing we see is we have peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and that we um, have access by faith into, the, into God's grace. And grace, if you recall, is, is you know, mercy would be looked, about, looked at as though it were as something that you are not given that you should have in a negative sense and grace is where you are given something that you shouldn't you haven't merited what you've received so that we uh, are granted access by faith we to this grace and it leads to rejoicing so i don't know if you have seen christians maybe from previous congregations maybe in your family uh, could be within your circle of friends that just don't seem to rejoice over anything. They're the, the stoic and the stalwart, just kind of grumpy person or something like that. I'm saved, but I don't want to talk to you. And 
there seems to be a disconnect there because the Holy Spirit led Paul to write that we would rejoice from our, the time that we are justified and we would experience joy and in verse 1 that we would experience peace and we can experience peace in, uh, apart from Christ momentarily for some reason, um, but a lifelong uh, understanding of being, uh, being at peace with where we are, with who we are. We are in Christ and there is, we have an advocate of infinite nature. So if we consider this peace with God, it's, I put down an objective reality. I'm not necessarily talking about, or is, this is not a guarantee that we have peace. Do I feel warm fuzzies? Okay, you may. But whether you do or you don't, we are at peace with God. We used to be at war with God, and now we're reconciled to God, uh, which in Romans 5.10 we read, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That is something that maybe you didn't recognize was going on in your life before being saved, that you were at war with God and that you were subject to the wrath of God. And perhaps after being saved and particularly in the steps of, of justification, adoption, and sanctification, you're pretty far down the path and you might still, at the beginning of the early portion of your Christian life, not really sense any kind of internal reconciliation to God. Nevertheless, whether you do or don't, you are reconciled to God. Is that a benefit? Absolutely. If you are not reconciled to God, you are still under God's wrath and you are hellbound. So, whether there are warm fuzzies or not, it is objective that you have been reconciled to God. As we um, continue to look at the assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, we also um, look at, uh, again, this, uh, the, this passage. Uh, that I picked out, the Apostle Paul is writing about, again, Abraham being justified by faith. And then he goes on to give like an example. Uh, and the Apostle Paul probably knew uh, what we call the Old Testament, which back then a New Testament hadn't been written yet. They were writing it still. But when you look back at Scripture, um, you know King David was, you know, one of the preeminent examples of one who was uh, after the Lord's heart. 
Well, he wrote right after talking about Abraham's justification by faith and not of works. He points out how David had also said, and we're looking at Psalm 32, uh, just David's, uh, Paul writes, just as David also speaks of the blessing of one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And verse 7, verse 8 are Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sons or sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. David is recognizing that men sin. David is very much aware of his sin. And when he talks about blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, and again, this is the Apostle Paul talking about righteousness being attained uh, or uh, by, by the righteousness uh, and justification uh, that he was talking about regarding Abraham. He's talking about David here and how the, the sin being covered is it leads to happiness. Blessed is pretty much uh, typically interchangeable with happy or happiness. There are other uh, interpretations of the word blessed depending upon the context, but uh, it seems to refer to uh, the word straight or things that are steady and there's no turmoil. Blessed, happy. Do you know Christians that are not happy? People that say that they are Christians. I think we all know people who say they are Christians and they're just like never happy and it's a woe is me. And we are supposed to feel blessed. And this would be a benefit of truly being saved. So we've looked at peace, we've looked at uh, blessedness, we've looked at joy or rejoicing. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 5 continues on, no, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That doesn't really seem to uh, jive with today's world. People feel like, well, some of it is uh, manufactured nowadays, but in general, anybody apart from Christ, if things aren't going well, they're not going to rejoice over that for the most part. But as a Christian, as being in Christ, having been justified, adopted, part of God's family, and being sanctified, continually being set apart, you grow in your knowledge of Christ, of God, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and you can actually rejoice in your sufferings. Uh, James 1 talks about, you know, count it all joy, uh, paraphrasing when things are going south because it's going to build you up. But um, as we read here, the Apostle Paul writes that we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Even if you didn't agree with that, 
it's not because it isn't true, because it is true when the Apostle Paul wrote it. This is a benefit of justification, of adoption, of sanctification, that we can rejoice and that we should rejoice. It doesn't mean I am going to always look forward to rough times, but I can now recognize that times of suffering have a meaning to it, that God has not left the throne, he did not forget about me, God is still in control, and even if this is like the last day of my life or something like that, um, God is God, and we can take peace and joy from that, and we can rejoice in our sufferings. We also um, get reminded by a certain man named Job regarding the inevitability of sufferings. That man who is born of a woman is is few uh, days and uh, few of days and full of trouble. Um, Job also writes in chapter five, and actually starting towards the end of chapter four. Um, in case you think that you can skate through life without things uh, going south, he writes starting in verse 17 of chapter 4, and we'll take it to uh, just a little bit into chapter 5. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, men sin, and they're going to suffer the consequences. Even in his servants, he puts no trust in his angels. He charges with error. He, how much more those who dwell in the houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed like the moth. Between morning and evening, they are beaten to pieces. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they not die and that without wisdom? Call now, is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool, and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. The hungry eat his harvest, and he takes it even out, on, uh, out of thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For affliction does not come from dust, nor does trouble spout from the ground. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. We are going to experience trouble. Is that a problem? In the big picture, no, because we can rejoice in our sufferings. So, uh, as a summary statement, the first benefit is that we are assured of God's love and uh and peace of conscience. One of the things that I, uh, after I had emailed this uh, <laughs> for uploading, I did want to point out just regarding the assurance of love. And again, this is just another big topic. It just it could expand beyond uh, imagination. But uh, if we look at First uh, John four. And verse 16 is going to be the operative verse, but I'm going to start at verse 13 of 1 John chapter 4, where we, where we read, By this we know that we, that we abide in him, and he in us, 
because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. We have come to know and we've come to believe the love that God has for us. Is that a benefit? Is the supreme being of everything. This is the creator of the universe, the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, the creator of us, the one, the sovereign, the almighty creator, omniscient, ever-present, self-existent, beyond our imagination, beyond our comprehension, and to know that the supreme being of this, anything that we know about in the universe, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we know how much he loves us. God abides in him, he and God, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So uh, that's kind of like an afterthought, but you could see how these benefits are, they can be beyond comprehension if we really sit and meditate upon uh, these verses. So, moving on. This time we actually do have question number 39. Um, Joy in the Holy Spirit. So the key text that the Catechism uh, cites in Romans 5.5 5 and 5.17. So let's just take a quick look at that in Romans 5.5. 5. Um, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So that's uh, actually to unpack that would, could take quite a while, but um, I just wanted to bring up uh, verse 17, unless the batteries here are not going to... Oh, okay. Um, well, okay, just to uh, elaborate a little bit more on uh, what benefit we receive, just think about the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. These will come as a result of justification, adoption, sanctification. And I just highlighted love, joy, and peace because that's what we have been talking about um, mostly. If we go on to Romans 5.17, this was a, um, a cited verse in the Catechism uh, I wasn't terribly excited about it, uh, but as we read, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And this is referring to going from being in Adam to being in Christ and the abundance of grace as a gift. Is that a benefit? Good gifts are definitely benefits, and the gifts that God bestows upon us, they're all good. The verse that 
I was thinking about more. It might just be a personal preference, but I always have. Uh, it, it's difficult to get out of my mind. In the book of Ephesians, again, this is the Apostle Paul writing, and in chapter one, he talks about being elected by God the Father. He talks about being redeemed uh, by the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. But then he says, he continues on regarding the Holy Spirit in verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What can we take out of that? Um, If we had a Sunday school class, I think we would uh, easily spend an entire Sunday school class talking about this. But being sealed and uh, that referring to the authenticity and the authority of whoever possesses Uh, The sealing uh, item, in this case the Holy Spirit, is sealing us in our salvation. If you are saved, you you have that security of salvation. Um, I'd heard a long time ago uh, that in husbands and wives, they kind of have different priorities and I only talk about the the priority of the wife that I heard in this uh, seminar and that is the number one priority of a wife in a marriage is security and whether that's right or wrong I thought oh, that's pretty good I know I'll buy it whether that is right or wrong is certainly important and you know what it's important to the husband as well though that is not his priority um, what kind of security do you get with the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the sealing of your salvation by the Holy Spirit? It's infinite and it's unbreakable. And the security that you draw from that can give you great peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. If we look at the fact that Um, We have a guarantee of our inheritance. (laughs) I was, when I was first saved, I was happy just to know that, okay, I'm going to to heaven. That That was good enough, and it was very immature to think that is what the Christian life is all about. It is a benefit, absolutely, but that is glorification. That is not what we're talking about tonight. But to know that we have an inheritance, that we are joint heirs with Christ, helps us to see ourselves in a much greater light. The fact, again, that God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit would think that much of me to allow me to be an heir with Christ Uh, To me, that's mind-boggling. It's difficult to understand. A person could set it aside and say, I don't get it. It doesn't mean it's not happening. It has happened. 
and that is a benefit, again, regardless of whether you can comprehend it or not. So this is what I'm saying about some of these benefits are intrinsic. They may not be all that visible or visible at all. And then some of them, like joy, can be um, manifested outwardly. So benefit number two, joy in the Holy Spirit. As we look at the third part of the answer, uh, an increase of grace, they reference Proverbs 4.18. I didn't have a lot to add to this, but as we read Proverbs 4.18, we read, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Well, we're certainly experiencing an increase in grace, and if we consider this verse, we can consider uh, perhaps from two different angles. And I'll start with the first one. And before we're saved, are we uh, experiencing God's grace in any way, shape, or form? Well, uh, his general grace, yes, because he reigns on the earth, uh, like puts water on the earth for us to drink. He provides food. He's designed all these intricacies. He's built our bodies where we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So it's nothing that we deserve. So you can argue that we have experienced a certain amount of God's grace. All people have across the board. But saving grace, that makes all the difference in the world to your eternity, that you'll be eternally part of the family of God. You will be uh, a member of the body of the universal church of which Christ is the head. And that's certainly uh, a quantum leap of grace, of, and therefore it would be an increase of grace. But we could also look at from the moment that we are saved and we are saved by grace, and not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Um, we have experienced that quantum leap, but what happens as we continue to live? Was it, that's it, that's all I'm giving you? No, as we continue to grow in Christ, we're growing in grace, and are therefore grace increases as we live our Christian lives. So would that have happened had we not been saved, of which a large portion of that is justification, adoption, sanctification? And all we can do is look at the, uh, the grace of God and the fact that we don't merit it uh, we could ask ourselves, why me? Uh, but we're not going to get to a concrete answer on that. So benefit three, being an increase in grace. And then lastly, we look at the perseverance therein to the end. First John 5.13 and 1 Peter 1.5 are the reference verses. Let's just take a quick look at those. 1 John 5.13 says, and this is the Apostle John uh, writing, 
I write these things to you who believe. So we're talking about people uh, that uh, arguably are um, to the point of justification, adoption, and sanctification. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And because you know that, the implication is that you will uh, persevere. And the Apostle Peter writes uh, in 1 Peter 1 verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So regarding that, I actually would like to uh, take that from uh, chapter 1, verse 2, rather than just jump right to verse 5, because I want to give that context, and it will help to make the, that word guarded uh, spring out a little bit more. So I'll start in chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. So we're talking about people that are being sanctified Uh, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. So that would be regeneration. And uh, born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. So you see more benefits here that we haven't made the top 10 here. Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So how do we make it to the end of this life and continue to believe? to continue to have the faith. It's going to be an act of God, and that's a benefit. Whether we sense it or not, God is going to guard us to allow us to persevere through challenges, through difficulties. Um, you know, For those of you that know R.C. Sproul, he likes to refer to Uh, You've heard of Perseverance of the Saints in the acronym TULIP. Uh, He likes to refer to that P as more like preservation of the saints. He preserves us. And uh, to try to uh, continually pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, as we talked about last week in sanctification, uh, sanctification is an act of God. and, And here we read, it is God that is guarding us. It is not us studying, and, and, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, but it is not our work that uh, is going to guarantee that preservation of faith. It is God, according to this verse, who's going to guard us to the end. So, um, 
those are the two verses that were pointed out, but uh, some of us uh, remember Philippians 1.6. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is good to know. And then there are many other verses that we could read. I just gave a, a, a sampling of passages that will point to uh, how God is going to preserve us uh, through the entire sanctification process. So with that said, benefit number four is perseverance to the end. And that is the end. I will open it up to questions of all the many things that I didn't cover. I'm going to let people kind of chew on this for a moment. Okay, I'm, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to, I don't know how to go back to the beginning. Um, remember the question. What are the, uh, what are the benefits which in this life, do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification. When you first read that question, what are some of the thoughts that just immediately come to your head? Benefits in this life. Well, let me ask this. Do you jump to things that you see within yourself or amongst other people? Or do you dive into the theology of the spiritual transactions that are invisible or neither or both I would think there is joy in both of those things I mean we shouldn't overlook the, the, the tangible evidence of God's grace upon us but I think the greater joy definitely comes when we consider the way your spiritual aspects of things because they have more of a a long enduring nature to them they're more final and more complete whereas the fruit of those spiritual transactions uh, the blessings that we experience in circumstantial ways uh, they often come and go uh, but again uh, the, the fruit is not as important I think to or should not be as important to us as the spiritual realities that bear those fruits okay disagree agree Young man, you may answer also. Is your father accurate? I'm going to say, yeah, I consider him my pastor as well. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, can you ask the question one more time? Well, the question, uh, what are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification. And then my question to that was, where does your mind go as you try to answer this question? Does your mind go to the tangible, recognizing joy that somebody exhibits, for example? Uh, somebody that is like pacified in comfort, through a, maybe a grievous, grievous time period? Or 
do your mind does your mind go more to the spiritual transactions that are invisible or or things that you never did see it's like the sacrifice of christ on the cross uh redemption what does it mean to be redeemed you don't walk around with a label on your head and you don't uh act because you are redeemed that you act a certain way you you may act like a christian should act because they're saved but is it because you're thinking of redemption um so what pastor nick was saying is that the he finds greater benefits to himself in considering the the uh, intrinsic the spiritual transactions rather than the manifested for example fruits of the spirit or something like that just the the fact that we've been justified you can't see that happen all right we're not in a physical courtroom we can't be declared righteous physically in a courtroom it is something that we read in the bible so do you consider that benefit greater or do you consider the tangible benefits i'm not saying that there's a right answer to this but the question was what do you think when you first read this question so you can't get that one wrong because i'm just asking what do you think
I haven't been living like Christian. I'm like, I'm going to live for Jesus. And I can feel this pressure of like, I have nothing to hide anymore. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to be transparent. And we don't have to walk around, you know, with this burden. I had someone come to me um, at a weekend party and he's like, hey, you know, if you had like, you know, found $3 million or something, you know, would you just take one? It's like, no. Like, I had no desire to take that money, like God is good, he's provided for me, he's met the means, but like, I have no need to do anything that causes me to look over my shoulder, and I think that is that piece, like even the world's telling us no, even when we're being persecuted, we know that we're walking in truth, and there is a a sense of a assurance and a reality and a peace that comes from us that can't be taken, right, that won't allow us to compromise, like even if I wanted to try to, to sin, I couldn't, because Christ is in me, and he's preserving me, like I can't just violate my conscience, if that makes sense. So, so I'm going I'm to supplement that for a second. Um, and this is, you know, one of the 87 things that I just didn't have time to bring up. But um, when you have, when, when you're in that process of, of ongoing sanctification, you can humble yourself genuinely rather than some kind of faults humility and in first peter 5 6 and and 7 we read humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you and that's part of my salvation story in that i had uh been to church, not like all my life. It's not like I was a steady churchgoer, but when I was a kid, I was dragged to church, and this is in Connecticut. And uh, I don't think those churches are known for being particularly theologically sound. And I was, uh, I was, I was not um, interested in being there and they didn't give me very good answers like you know why should i believe in god and the lady the sunday school teacher said well just because you should you have to believe in god and you know i said my analytical mind had already had the wheels turning and say you know uh, you know if you can't give me a good answer it's got to be baloney so um as i uh continued in my teenage years i got confirmed and i uh, did not believe in God, and I still got confirmed. The church didn't care that I had did not believe in God. And uh, when I was um, just continuing to grow in my life and, you know, being surrounded by a bunch of techies in college and graduate school and all this, I, I mean, there was no mention of, of God. There was no curiosity on my part, and it wasn't until I went to this church service that... Um, when, when I heard uh, Rosie Greer, an old football player, um, preach, and he caught my attention, talked about being humble. He talked about how he left his wife and then he came back to his wife um, when, after he was saved because he felt convicted that, you know, I should have never left her. I was, I was just, I had a screw loose back then. God saved me what what I know now, uh, I know I need to go to my wife, ask for forgiveness, and I want her to marry me again. And I'm thinking, ah, there's no way a guy would do that, you know? It's just like, there's just no way. That's just, you know, it's 
that's just not the manly thing to do. And, you know, I was not saved, and, you know, so that's the way I looked at things. But as the, as the service went on, all of a sudden I realized he's just so sincere about this. And, I, and that's when the brick hit me, or the light went on, and or the blinders came off. You could say whatever you want to say, but I felt like there is a God. I can't believe it. It was, a, it was like a revelation to me. It, it was sudden, jumping from atheist to believer, I had heard the gospel, and I heard these testimonies, and I jumped, and, and I, I, I wasn't trying to. I didn't go there for anything other than to be with friends, and it just happened. And the ex- immediate experience I had was the feeling like all these burdens got lifted from me. Some people might take long, a little bit further down the road. For me, just like that, the, I was able to cast my burdens. I think that might have been one of the verses that, that was um, preached that day. And I, you know, I just broke down. <laughs> I just broke down in tears. I could just give up on all this plate spinning that I was doing. See, I wasn't living a life where I'm robbing banks or having affairs or what, whatever. It's, uh, it was, you know, I wasn't in prison. You know, was, life was good. But I had so many burdens. And when I was able to cast them uh, upon God, it was, you know, just, uh, well, that was my moment of salvation, so... That um, would be a, uh, I would call a tangible uh, benefit <laughs> of being saved. But it's, it's tangible, but yeah, it's definitely tangible, but it's not something you can see. It's well, there's something intrinsic going intrinsic, on, and the, yeah. the, the conversion that was going on at the moment uh, as Pastor Nick is alluding to, I actually, I don't value the result anywhere near as much as I value the fact that I was justified by faith. And that's all I came with was, uh, you know, it's all I exhibited at that moment in time was faith because I didn't, uh, you know, there's, there's no way that I was, would qualify <laughs> by my works. Um, but the what i what i gain from the most is what's going on underneath you know yes i see the ducks swimming and what i don't see underneath is the feet going like this you know uh, 100 miles an hour for that for that duck to keep you know, zipping along um i do appreciate the the ordo salutis everything that's in it. Well, Go ahead. I was just going to say, one of the things that stood out to me in, in your sermon tonight was your uh, clarification on peace. And I think it ties into your testimony that you just shared. It's the whole idea that I think often people, when they, they ask God for peace, they're really looking for a tiny little snippet of peace in the timeline of their existence. So take away this sickness so I can be at peace. Or... Make me get a little bit of money right now so I can pay my rent and then everything will be peaceful again. But 
you spoke about how that peace is not just a feeling or a comfort, but it is the grand understanding that we were at war with God and we're no longer at war with God. There's literally like a treaty sign now where we don't have to worry about his superior army just crushing us. Yep. And I, I've seen a couple of times, uh, you've, maybe somebody has sent you one of these videos uh, in your email or, or linked you to a, a, a little snippet from YouTube or something where there's a mechanic in the shop and, he's, and he drops his tool and it starts to roll away. And so he takes a step to get it and then a car blasts through the wall of the shop. Somebody had made a mistake and a car had fallen off of a dynometer and it just smashed into the shop. And if he would have not rolled, like if the tool would not roll away, he would have been dead. Right. So he didn't know how much peril he was in, but in that instant he was saved from destruction. And I, it, it's kind of like what you experienced there. Like you, almost, you weren't going there to get saved. You didn't know you were even at war with the Lord, really. But when the preaching of the word opened your eyes, suddenly the, the burden that you didn't even know you had gets lifted right. because you see the weight of this war that we're at with God if we don't have Christ. And, who, and who we're at war with, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be at war with your, the president of the United States or whatever country you live in. It's another thing to be at war with the one who created you, yeah. created the whole universe, has infinite power, indescribable. Uh, it's, um, <laughs> I brought this up before, but um, there was a time that we had prayer partners and there was a person sitting next to me and when he said he was having a rough week and we asked him to talk about it and he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do this and that and God just keeps getting in my way. And so I had a conversation with him and, and I'll, let's just say that we came to an understanding. The implication was that he got part of his way and God got part of his way or something like that. And as I moved my chair away from his in anticipation of the lightning bolt, um, I... Uh, you know, I'm thinking, uh, you're, you're talking to the power of, of the universe and whatever's beyond the universe. We can't comprehend it. But when we get any kind of benefit, um, whether we can see it or not, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. But, the, but the ones that, the, the, the spiritual transactions that we see in the Ordo Salutis is, beyond, you know, first yeah. of all, we don't merit it in any way, shape, or form, right. and we couldn't do it by ourselves at all. Not that, not that the rest of it isn't important and doesn't have an impact on us, but I would say peace of conscience is probably the biggest thing that we recognize up front because, again, as Nick said, we don't even realize that that's our big struggle necessarily. Um, until we have that, um, uh, that we've had that regeneration and that we've been justified. Uh, we look at the, the condition of the human being and we, you go into Barnes and Noble and you see these wonderful aisles of books just on you know, self-help or we search for the things in life that you know, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? How to win you friends know, and influence people. <laughs> you know, and then all of a sudden you come to God and you realize that you were, your love, you were created with intention. And um, the fact that you are 
a part of a plan. And all of that stuff comes to bear on you and you realize that that great weight is lifted off of you. And we see people before they come to Christ have so many more struggles than those that have it. Right. One of the questions I was going to ask you is, what's, you mentioned in Ephesians 1, 13, one of the things you talked about was sealed. What is the significance of being sealed? The, in our assurance. The, the symbolism of the seal, in this case, if you think about back when uh, Joseph was given a signet ring when he was uh, a prime minister for Pharaoh, and that ring had authority and authenticity uh, enveloped by that signet ring. And when they would seal a scroll, seal a document, whatever, that authenticity and the authority stood behind it. So now you have been elected. You've been in chapter verses like one through five and then uh, six through 10 uh, being redeemed by Christ. And Paul is talking to brothers. He is talking to saved people. He's reminding them that you've been redeemed and you can't get unredeemed because I'm sealing this transaction. Who has, who has the, uh, of, to whom does this seal apply um, or whom is applying it? It's the Holy Spirit, infinite in power, infinite in knowledge, infinite in existence. Um, that is the one who is signifying that this cannot be broken. And it's got to end the language. You know, it's, it's really on the legal level. Right? To be sealed means that official steps have been taken to make sure this doesn't slip away. It's not just some informal hope that you have, but it's a formal hope. It's, it's legal. It's going to come to pass. And it'd be one thing if, like, my six-year-old son, like, wrote a guarantee that he was going to buy me a Lamborghini one day. That wouldn't be much of a seal, right? Because he's just a kid. He doesn't have power to keep that promise. But when it's the king of the universe sealing your salvation, yeah. and he's the one who holds the gavel in his hand to declare people guilty or innocent, I mean, there's, that carries so much incredible weight. weight. And the fact yes. that that seal is not just in a book somewhere, but it's the Holy Spirit that dwells with us should be a constant reminder that that reality has been brought to bear upon our lives. And it's another thing that we didn't touch is to me a benefit is the uh, indwelling uh, of the Holy Spirit. But anyway, there were many, many topics that we decided not to go in that direction tonight. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Dear gracious and heavenly Father, Lord, uh, again, we're blessed to be in your house today. We're thankful that we can... Uh, meet freely with um, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that 
um, we can boldly approach you um, with uh, prayer requests. We're grateful that we can lift praises to you as well as you uh, answer prayers in your almighty power. Um, you know, we, our, our cup overflows, Lord, by your hand. Um, what we have been uh, given uh, by you and of no merit on our part it's uh it's uh i think it's incomprehensible for us we can uh understand it intellectually but until we experience glorification i'm sure there's a, a lot of parts um uh that we are just not aware of so we thank you lord for your infinite nature for uh your grace and for your mercy uh that you bestow upon us uh, we thank you, Lord, for your love, and pray, Lord, that uh, from that uh, we will certainly uh, love one another. So we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Click low battery.